Horns Up would like to pay tribute to Eddie Van Halen. EVH, thank you for all the memories. Your music is your living legacy and will continue to inspire a lot of us. Welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh and Peter. We've got a great interview today with uh, Serena Cherry from Swalbard. Now, that's a name I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about if you haven't already because their third album, When I Die, Will I Get Better, released a couple of weeks ago and it's an absolute banger and one which will surely make quite a few of the year's best lists. It's almost that time again. Yeah, I can't believe it, man. It's already been so, I mean, what, we're 10 months into the year already. <laughs> yeah, time's but, passing by. Yeah, but uh, yeah, when when I die, when it, will it get better is an absolute banger of an album, if I may say. I mean, it is so intense. And from the first minute itself, it hits you, man. It, 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 there's no like warning or nothing i think it should the album should come with like a warning like <laughs> parental advisory yeah, more like this is gonna like smash your face in kind of warning <laughs> <laughs> anyways here's that interview let's fucking go hi serena welcome to horns up hello thanks for having me it's really nice to be here yeah so you know first of all congratulations on your latest album when i die will it get better uh how are you doing today uh, uh thanks very much yeah I'm, I'm good i'm really relieved that the album is finally out and i'm really pleased with the reactions that uh people are having to the record and, and the reviews have been really good so yeah it's a weight off my mind because I think as an artist, you always worry that uh, what you're putting out might not be good enough. So it's nice to see people enjoying the record. Okay. Uh, before we dive into the music, of course, we'd like to begin with a question about the whole Holy Roar collapse. Of course, we heard about what happened and Holy Roar and that's despicable, really. Also because of the jolt it must have thrown at all the bands. Uh, we don't want to get into what happened at Holy Roar. Instead, uh, can you tell us how the move to Church Road Records happened? Um, in the sense, can you give us an idea of the challenges and the work it took to release When I Die, Will It Get Better? Because this entire thing happened, say, just 20 days before the release date. Yeah, it was very stressful. Um, basically, how we came about with moving to Church Road Records was Justine Jones from Employed to Serve was our label manager when we were assigned to Holy Raw and she was the one that we worked with for like the past uh, four or five years on our previous releases. She was the one who we were working with for uh, When I Die Will I Get Better as well. So we um, already had a really good working relationship established with her. And then she mentioned, you know, once all the Holy Raw allegations had come out, she quit Holy Raw, which uh, you know, was really reassuring because it showed that she was on the same page as us in regard to how to deal with the allegations um, made against Alex. And then uh, she mentioned that her and her husband, Sammy, who's also in, employed to serve, were starting up this new record label, Church Road, and um, would we be interested in 
being a part and uh we you know because we've got such a good working relationship with those guys already we sort of jumped at the chance and uh she was very because she'd been working on the album with us for so long she was very keen to get it to stick to the release date which took a lot of work we basically had to buy back our stock off of holy raw um which isn't cheap and then we've we have had a few problems in terms of uh delays with it getting into the shops so it has been delayed getting into the shops but the album is still out um and you can get it online and everything or you can order it through church road records website so there has been a few hurdles and a few complications i've definitely learned a lot about contract law <laughs> in uh, in the last couple of weeks um but we've sort of managed to to pull it all together there's been a lot of you know long phone conversations and lots of emailing but uh, it's all sort of fallen into place with church road so we're really pleased about that were you surprised at anything in the contract that you guys didn't think was there already with holy raw yeah i mean uh, i'm 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 guessing you guys had to redo all your contracts and terminate that one and do a new one with church road etc so yeah. you mentioned the things you've learned in contract law in uh, in contract law i'm just trying to understand if there's anything there because at the end of the day uh this could very well be good information for use for any musician who's listening um things like morality clauses so um uh we didn't have a morality clause in our contract with holy raw which would basically have sort of protected us should any of the people of the label do something which was um a behavior which was detrimental to to the band's sales or you know detrimental to our beliefs and stuff like that um and i've heard since then i've learned that quite a few bands do have two-way morality clauses in their contracts um but we didn't have one it, so it was more with the contract with holy war it was more to do with what wasn't in there than than what was i mean it was your exactly. standard record contract but yeah I, i would say now if you know whenever we would look at if we ever came to look at another record contract again we would make sure there was a two-way morality clause in there so the label could get rid of us if we did anything that was you know um illegal or um just bad behavior in general or the same could work we would be able to leave the label if they did something which we didn't agree with so yeah that's definitely a morality clause is definitely something all bands should consider looking for if they're uh, if they're hashing out a contract. <laughs> wow, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I learn something new every day. <laughs> right, let's get to the music. I mean, the record seems intensely personal. I mean, we've read uh, prior interviews where you've said it was a it's a painfully honest album. How cathartic has the album been for you? Um, it's a weird one because some parts of it are cathartic um, i would say the song clickbait is incredibly cathartic for me um uh in sort of you know being able to express uh my opinions on something that has affected me and my representation within the media for years now uh but in some some songs like open wound it's actually a little bit too painful and it's not really cathartic it's almost like a sort of postcard from a bad memory now so it's weird like i do as much as obviously i love the album and i'm really proud proud of the songs 
I do sort of, you know, um, it does feel like having my diary on show for everyone to read. And in some ways, I do regret having like songs about some of the worst things that have ever happened to me just there, you know, almost as a reminder. So it's a weird one. There's definitely like, there's some songs like Clickbait or What Was She Wearing? Usually all the feminist ones, basically, where um, there's there's a lot of catharsis in like delivering those lyrics and screaming them in the vocal booth and listening back and being, re being really pleased with the song. But then there's some songs where it's, you know, more to do with relationships and stuff where uh, a little part of me thinks I should have just left it in the past. Mm. It's interesting that you mention uh, clickbait because um, that, in fact, is was was the base as such of uh, my next question to you. Um, I must say I love the song. I can feel the anger and frustration when you're when you're yelling "fuck off" in clickbait, and the next thing you know, I'm screaming along with you. I lose my fucking shit and mosh away to glory at a gig if this song is played live and I happen to be at that same gig because <laughs> oddly enough that chorus it gave, it gave me strength and it oddly enough also gave me a lot of hope now here's a weird question for you on the basis of my reaction this is how I'm using the song right um, is that okay yes of course <laughs> you know, and, and, and I say that because honestly uh, I don't have a lyric sheet with me, uh, lyric sheet with me to pour over. So um, I understand it's 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 an important song for you, but to me, I'm just reacting to the music first. Yeah, I mean, this is it. I never want to instruct other people on how to enjoy or react to our music. Like people are free to take from it whatever they take from it, and if you take, you know, a kind of an energy from that and feel that anger too then that's great that's what it's all about because that's forming a connection through the song um it doesn't have to be specifically you know that you've experienced the exact same thing that i have that i'm talking about in the song it's just you know whatever you can relate it to you to in your personal life like there's definitely no rules uh, in regard to how i feel people should should take our music you know it's whatever we want to take from it <laughs> hmm, hmm. it's interesting you say that because um uh, the the album just that uh, your second album in in it your you had simplified the lyrics to a degree where it would be easy enough for anybody to understand what you were talking about right yeah. so anyways keeping that behind uh, i must say there's still so much to unpack on this album it's one of those where which uh, you can spend an entire morning with especially one where you need the lyrics to pour over as well um i play in a hardcore punk band here in bombay and we are more on the lines of the traditional agnostic front or minor threat kind of a sound and that means we don't sound anything like you as such but I still think we'd be a perfect match for a gig or a split or something of that sort because of the attitude and what the music talks about. It's about real things. It's not just about, you know, fantastical yeah. beasts and where you find them, etc. Weird Harry Potter's reference there. <laughs> 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 Having said that, uh, what do you think is the role of music in today's society? Oh, um, well, I mean because of covid i'm not sure anymore because you know, 
I've this is something I've been thinking about a lot in the last few days. Like, what is the future for music? Because it used to be, I think, you know, the role of music was something that would it was like almost a different language that can bring people together, you know, over all other differences and like a, a sort of way that we can speak to each other um, that sort of rises above any social difference differences and stuff and it's also a way that you know we can connect on a more meaningful level and then I think that that is um reaches its height when you have like you know uh, a festival where everyone sort of feels like they come together in a like-minded spirit just through music or you know a gig where everyone is you know showing their love for the band and that is you know the epitome of that connection through music but I feel that live music is really you know it's going to change for the foreseeable future and I'm not sure that we're going to have this same sort of um uh goalpost of being able to all you know meet to watch a band play songs and connect through that music anymore so I think it's going to become the role of music is going to become maybe more personalized and internalized as people kind of you know they they develop their own tastes through um, finding bands online and stuff like that and just listening to what they listen to and, and maybe not having that kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, that social aspect of, you know, mm -hmm. meeting fans and other people at a gig so much. I think it might become, music will become a more personal thing in the next few years. But yeah, like the role of it, I've, I would view it as uh, as a different language for which people can communicate. All right, so since we're talking about COVID, right, uh, when was this material written? BC, that's before COVID, or AC, after COVID? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It was BC. Everything was written before COVID. Um, we were really lucky because we had the studio booked to record the album in February 2020, and uh, that was before lockdown in the UK. So we just managed to get the album recorded and finished before everything sort of shut down over here. Um, so it hasn't, yeah, COVID hasn't affected the album at all in terms of like writing uh, or recording it. Um, the only thing that's affected has been our live shows and we've had to obviously cancel everything, which is sad. <laughs> yeah. So this brings me to my next question, really. How different do you think the record might have been had it been written once the lockdown was imposed? I mean, I'm guessing we'll hear that on your next album, the fourth one, right? Well, I would actually say so. During lockdown, I've written a solo black metal album. <laughs> so I would yeah, say yeah. that the, uh, maybe if Svalbard hadn't already recorded this album, then the stuff I've written for my black metal album would maybe have made it onto the Svalbard record. But instead, it's a, it's a solo thing. So... Um, yeah, but that's a lot more, The my solo record's a lot more kind of riffy and metal and sort of more complex leads, more blast beats and stuff, a little bit more technical. Um, so, yeah, it would, if those riffs made it onto a Svalbard record, it would sound very different. I do wonder, like, would I have written a song for Svalbard lyrically about COVID? I'm... I'm not sure that I would because I think it's just such a universal thing that's affected so many people 
in so many ways that it's almost like um, distasteful to impose your own subjectivity on it. Okay. Uh, that's a very interesting take. Uh, you're getting and back. And we're going to definitely come back and talk a little bit more about your black metal thing towards, yeah, towards another section of the interview. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. All right. So, you know, uh, getting back to when I die, will it get better, right? Uh, another track, uh, Palescence, that stands out, you know, again, from the rest of the album. I mean, I read somewhere that it's meant to be a love song. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a straightforward love song. Um, it was actually written as an instrumental because all the previous albums we end with an in instrumental. But uh, this was the last track we wrote together as a band before we went into the studio. And around that time, uh, I met someone and, uh, you know, just wrote lyrics about sort of finding that hope um, again and finding, yeah, that, that love again in, in your life and how much that support can change you. And uh, I sort of, um, around the same time, I went to see like bands like Anathema live. And I think they're really good at doing that kind of like... Um, poetic sort of uh, love song but it's like really deep and not cheesy and uh, in a way I wanted to try my hand at that and I'm really pleased with how it's turned out but I think if you listen to it knowing that I really like Anathema you can sort of hear <laughs> where yeah the intersection especially yeah I'm, yeah I'm, I'm gonna revisit the track now but yeah I, I'm not gonna say anything more about Anathema <laughs> I know yeah Okay, um, uh, a, sl a slight mu uh, sequ sequencing question, actually. Um, in this day and age where albums begin with, you know, a cold open or an intro of sorts and end with kind of like another epilogue or as you mentioned, you know, we are used to hearing the instrumental um, songs that end the albums earlier this particular album begins and ends super abruptly. Why choose to open and close the album with such intensity? I mean, it hits you just as you push play. There's no uh, letting the audience just, you know, realize that, yeah, I need to focus my attention to this now. Yeah, I think um, we've sort of, because in the past we've had, um, with like the first album, there's a softer guitar intro and we're sort of, you know, gently building up to to the heaviness that's going to go. I think we just didn't um, really want to do that this time. I don't think we wanted to let the listener in gently. It was just straight away jumping in there for maximum impact. And I actually, it's one of my favourite things about the album is that it's um, almost more streamlined because of that. It's quite, you know, it's short and abrupt and um it lets the sort of heavy bits really speak for themselves because of that mm -hmm. okay all right um talk to us a little bit about the musical evolution of the band on this album i i i thought it was a bit more atmospheric than the previous records and dare i say i thought it was a bit more technically nuanced and intricate as well am i right in that assessment I think it's one of those things where you all just grow as musicians and, you know, we've been playing together, uh, the three of us, me, Liam and Mark, for a decade now and we've all sort of watched each other improve 
um, at our instruments and, and played off of that. I know me as a lead guitarist, like I, if I play through the older songs, I'm like, wow, they're so easy compared to what I do now and so simple. So I think um, we've all sort of just evolved and grown more confident in our roles in the band. Like I think Mark's drumming on the new album is like, it's so technical and interesting and just, yeah, really, it's, it's like he's trying, I think on Open Wound, you can hear that he's really sort of experimenting and with trying out lots of different sort of beats and things, which uh, I think really works. And then with Liam, I feel that, you know, as a rhythm guitarist and a vocalist, he's just, yeah, got a lot more stronger and his chords uh, that he comes to practice with, his riffs that he writes have, they go in a lot more interesting ways now, which then I can feed off when I write my guitar leads. So like, I, yeah, I just feel that we've all sort of grown together and we've also uh, embraced our, cause we all listen to different stuff. Like, uh, you know, our drummer listens to sort of grindcore and drum and bass and all sorts of stuff. And Liam listens to like sort of more melodic crust and then uh, sort of prettier indie bands like new and then I mostly listen to power metal and soundtracks so we all come from like really different places musically and I think that you can hear we're just sort of getting comfortable with the fact that we're all with our differences musically on this album hmm. yeah it's it's also it's it's weird that this is generally a question which I always throw in uh, whenever it's the third album for a particular band uh, which is that we think uh, that, and it's a, it's been a long-standing theory of sorts or a hypothesis that it's on the third album that a band actually ch- begins to define its own sound and be comfortable with it. That's really interesting that you say that because I work as a music journalist as well. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. And he said mm-hmm. exactly the same thing. He said, um, you know, back in the day when you were given a record contract, you were given a sort of six album deal. And the first two albums, there actually wasn't that much pressure to, you know, get to number one with the first two albums or sell a lot because those were considered the two albums where you just crafted your sound and you learned your sound as a band and figured things out. And he said, you know, it was the third album that record companies would expect you to really have sort of blossomed into your own uh, identity as a band. So yeah, you're not the first people to say that. And I think it's definitely true. And I think you can hear it in our new album as well. We've definitely found ourselves musically. (laughs) Please link me to that interview. I will, yeah. It was for Iron Fist. I don't know if you get that magazine in India, but yeah. Which which one is it? Iron Fist. Oh no, no. if you don't. Uh, we'll yeah. look it up online. But but Animesh is now gonna check out Thin Lizzy for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've been having this huge chat with 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 Peter and a couple of other people about how I need to start checking out Thin Lizzy more. And uh, yeah, this one definitely See, the universe is pointing me towards that direction, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, ba- back uh, to our chat. Uh, what is your ambition uh, for this album, if I may ask? Oh, I don't know. I'm like, uh, I don't really think about music in terms of ambition because I am fully aware that we're a band that are never going to 
probably never going to make a living off of what we do and we're probably never going to be able to tour as much as we want to do or you know sell as many records as we'd like to do so I don't even really think about it in those terms I would say my hope for for the record as a creative thing would be that it would make anyone who's suffered with mental illness or anyone who's suffered from domestic abuse or abusive relationships I hope it just makes them feel less alone like I hope people can find sort of comfort in songs where it's talking about uh situations that a lot of people go through but that aren't really that spoken about so yeah that would be my hope with what the album does but you know I, I I'd love to say oh well I want to you know get to number one and sell out Wembley but oh, it's just not realistic is it it's never gonna happen <laughs> still one can hope never say never yeah <laughs> I, I was just gonna say that last month we spoke to an artist that charted the billboard charts in US and Canada so just really? saying <laughs> yeah necrot who would have thunk right wow yeah That's necrot <laughs> they play <laughs> old school death metal <laughs> yeah yeah i know <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah right so this brings us to to the toughest part of our interview normally where we ask our guest uh, we'd like to play a song of uh, from when i die will it get better which song should it be and why clickbait <laughs> because <laughs> that was easy yeah <laughs> um yeah it's personally i mean i can't speak for the rest of the guys but it's personally my favorite song on the album and i feel like you said you can really feel the anger in the song but also it's got you know the sort of prettier clean bits as well and uh, yeah it's definitely the song that i'm the most proud of writing um so yeah easy clickbait <laughs>
All right, now Wikipedia throws several genres to describe your music. You know, there's everything from alternative crust, hardcore, metal, punk, rock, occasionally post-hardcore, post-rock, post-metal, black metal, emo, black gaze, dream gaze. Wow. How do you <laughs> define your sound? Or how does Svalbard define its sound? I personally like the phrase, like the genre, you would use post-metal because I feel that post-metal has the widest scope as a genre for what it can be. So if you think of bands like sort of Cult of Luna and Alcest, and they all sort of fall under the larger, I mean, you've got things like Black Gaze as well with Alcest, but like... Um, for you could also categorize them as post metal so i feel that i like the category post metal for us because it doesn't you hear post metal and you don't instantly have an idea of what that actually sounds like i really don't like us being described as hardcore or punk i know we have hardcore and punk elements those come from the other guys in the band not from me and it's I, the reason i don't like it is because i don't listen to that kind of music at all and i know that if i saw a band you know being uh sort of you know oh check out this hardcore punk band i wouldn't because i don't listen to that kind of stuff so i feel like it's kind of a bit of a miss sell to to promote us as that but then i can understand why why people use that phrase and again like post hardcore has so many different elements to it that it's almost a genre that doesn't really uh, words that don't really mean anything anymore because what is post hardcore is it rollo tomasi is it you know modern life is war is it all these different types of bands so i i mean yeah, I guess it's tough for us because we are hard to pigeonhole musically. Like there's not one category that we fit neatly into. But I would hope that, you know, people who would check us out wouldn't maybe worry too much about what it's been billed as and just judge based on the actual sounds. Because, you know, you listen to a song like Listen to Someone and you're like, what's post-hardcore about that? What's punk about that? Like, nothing. <laughs> Stop calling us punk. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know it's a bit strange and we live in very weird times at the moment, but if I could ask you to kind of gaze into a crystal ball uh, of sorts, what does the future hold for Svalbard? Um, we have a tour with the ocean coming up next year. It's not 100% sure when it's going to be happening now because obviously it's such uncertain times. But the tour is going to happen at some point. <laughs> it will happen. Uh, so we are looking forward to that. We do have uh, festival appearances rebooked for 2021, um, like Bloodstock and things, which I'm really looking forward to. So hopefully, I mean, at the moment, all we can do is hope, but hopefully they'll all go ahead um, and we'll get to back to playing live, which is, you know, our favourite sort of thing to be doing as a band in 2021. I think it's going to be a long time before we release another album after this one, because uh, Liam and I no longer live in the same city. So we don't uh, rehearse as regularly. We don't really write as much. Um, so, yeah, it might be, you know, a good few years before we release another album. Um, at the moment, our next sort of focus is just being able to get these songs out there and play them live for people. Okay. Have you guys found a new bassist? No. 
What's the deal with with the band and bass players? I mean, I am a bass player, and I'm not hinting at anything, but yeah, just, <laughs> I knew it's... this was coming. <laughs> um, I think every band has one, like one sort of uh, position in the band that they just can't seem to get a permanent member for. I hope We... none of them are spontaneously combusting. No. no. <laughs> Them, we've had no spinal tap moments. None of them have spontaneously combusted. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just seem to, we can't keep a bass player for longer than a year or two, which is a real shame. I think a large part of, of the difficulty is that being in a band like Svalbard is difficult because we do try and tour as much as possible. And we do, you know, we are away a lot. And if you have a serious job or, you know, family or anything, that can really take its toll and it's a big commitment. So I think it's hard to find people who are willing to make so many sacrifices to do what we do because it's, you know, we don't make a living from it. So it's a difficult balancing act to be able to do Svalbard as, as we are at the moment. But, you know, who knows? One day maybe we'll find a basis that will last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are such creatures in the world. <laughs> okay, um, completely hopping genres now to the world of power metal. Uh, yes, you are a huge fan, right? Yes. How cheesy do you like your power metal? I mean, oh, I'm only asking because I enjoy it only when it's super, super, super over the top and dripping with cheese of all kinds. It's only fun then. <laughs> Uh, see, I, I like all of it. I, I like the really, really, really cheesy power metal like um, Glory Hammer and Twilight Force. But then I also like the kind of more technical, uh, sort of really virtuoso musician bands like Symphony X. Uh, so I like all of it as long as it's good. Or bands like Lost Horizon, you know, who sort of balance that. Um, thing between having the big cheesy choruses but also having really sort of technical com complicated guitar parts I mean yeah I pretty much I like it all really <laughs> it's, it's my favorite genre um, so yeah it's hard to I wouldn't I, yeah I don't only listen to the cheesy stuff or only listen to the technical stuff <laughs> so the more dragons and more tails you prefer them I guess yes <laughs> exactly. If it has a dragon on the album artwork, I'm going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You mentioned this at the start also. You're working on a solo black metal album. Uh, so you talked about it also with context to COVID. Uh, was that one of the uh, factors that played into recording it? Yes, um, because I lost my job uh, at the start of COVID. I had um, suddenly loads more time, loads more free time than I've ever had before. Um, so it was time to, to get creative. And I basically, it was something I've been thinking about doing for a really long time, but just didn't have the time to do. So I had all the, a lot of riffs already stored up in my head. And then I sat down and I learned how to use Logic to record the songs and everything and just started with there. And admittedly, like the first couple of songs now, I've taken them off the album because they're nowhere near as good as what I'm doing now. <laughs> but it was like a learning uh, process. And um, I'm really, really pleased with it. It's very uh, euphoric black metal, very pretty, lots of uh, 
nice melodies and howling vocals um so hopefully it's going to be released next year and yeah i'm really excited about it because it's nice just to do something creatively where i'm fully in control and i don't have to compromise you know any of my over-the-top guitar work <laughs> true and and yeah black metal supposedly like that becomes the genre for most solo metal artists to truly find their sound too weirdly i mean yeah. it's it's so weird right like yeah. generally every every solo album either tends to be extremely stripped down or mad on extreme black metal yeah i think there's something liberating about it and i i also think there's something particularly like um isolating about black metal you know the fact yes. that uh, traditionally it's you know hypnotic drum patterns from a drum machine so you don't need a drummer there we go that's one person eliminated you know you can you don't need the bass at all yeah you don't need bass at all so all you need to do is lay down like two guitar parts maybe some synth if you if you're feeling extravagant and some vocals and yeah it's it's very much it adapts well to being a one-man per project if you know what i mean completely completely all right. Um, so, Serena, here's a final question. Uh, you mentioned that you're a music writer, and that's something that uh, we know about you as well. So, two questions here. The first one being, what's your secret for making an interview special? Ooh. Um, I always try to find out personal facts about the people I'm interviewing before going into the interview. Um, so for example, when I interviewed Harley from Cro-Mags, um, I found out that he rescues pit bulls in America. And uh, I started the interview with talking, asking him about his dogs. And I find once you start with a few more personal questions, the kind of questions that they're probably not gonna get every single time, it tends to open people up a bit more. Um, and then you, yeah, you can have a bit more of a rapport through the interview. Um, and also I find not taking people too seriously. So uh, once I interviewed Danny Filth and um, the, the start, the interview wasn't going that well, it was a bit dry and stuff. And then I sort of made a few jokes uh, and things and, th and then it was great. And he sort of, yeah, was, was joking away back. So I think you've got to, um, find that level of getting someone to personally open up and make them relax and, and have a laugh and then you can really get the best out of it. But like, you know, those, those, you get the same questions normally all the time. How was the band formed? You know, where did you record the album? And it's like all these questions don't really let anyone express themselves deeply. It's just a, a boring fact question. So yeah, I, I would always try and like be a bit more unique with with the question writing. Mm -hmm. So having said that, uh, did you enjoy Horns Up or should I start bringing out the Simpsons quotes and anime <laughs> references? <laughs> you can start roller posters first. So <laughs> um, uh, yes, I did. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, your questions <laughs> haven't been like that. Like you haven't Completely asked. Completely not fishing for compliments there. <laughs> <laughs> like I've really enjoyed it I think you can always tell when a question's good by how long someone's response is and you know I didn't give you any you know one word answers or or anything like that and that shows how good your questions were Ooh, thank you <laughs> on that note Serena it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you oh um, it's great thank you 
I I do hope that you know things ease up soon and you guys get to go on tour and somewhere along the way either you guys get to play India or we can come to a gig and I'll make sure you know so that you can dedicate clickbait to me and you can see me lose my shit in the mosh pit. <laughs> I would love that. Um, yeah, oh. we'd really love to come out and play in India um, soon. Or, or, we'll, or we'll tell uh, Robin from the ocean to bring you all also. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we spoke to him also a couple of, actually we spoke to him a couple of months ago, but they did a tour last year in India. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell him to bring us next time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for this. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Man, thanks to Serena for putting some shine on us. Yeah, it it always feels good uh, to hear such stuff from the artists that we interview. Oh, well, that's all the time we have on this episode of Horns Up. Reach out to us. Tell us what we can do to improve this podcast, who we can interview, what we can interview, when we can interview, why we can interview, how we can interview. I think that covers up all uh, journalistic (laughs) uh, questions as such. Anyways, the basics of journalism. Uh, Whatever, I'm just rambling now. So, yeah, we're still at hauntsuppod.com. Find us on Twitter. We're at hauntsuppod. I'm at Asmoani. I'm at Trend Crusher. This is Horns Up. Horns Up, guys.